Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It is episode 86, and today we are going behind the story. I'm your co-host, Nigel. I am Tazzy, content creator and co-host. And for our interview episodes, you know we speak to different creative professionals across industries to unpack the story that is their journey into their industry. And today we are going to hear the story behind Minira Douglas, executive editor at VX Comics. Minira, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for joining us. It'll be uh, interesting to hear your perspective about comics from a different continent. And then you're also in another continent. We're going to talk about that. and and how that all works so yeah definitely want to keep your ears peeled on you can subscribe to story x story on apple podcast on spotify and wherever you get your podcast from you can always send us feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com drop them in our discord or throw them at us on social media we are at myamada on twitter at myamada tv on instagram and tiktok i should uh, remember that at Tazzy on both all. Are you at Tazzy on TikTok, Tazzy? I'm on, yeah, I'm on uh, I'm Tazzy on everything ex- except on for everything. Twitch. Okay, all right, I need yeah, to remember to plug the uh, TikTok and also put things on TikTok, but we'll come back to that. <laughs> anyway, before we get into our interview, let's find out what's been happening in the Mayamada universe. And we have our new manga series now in print is actually physically in print. I've held it. It is real. It has happened. We will be sending collector's editions to our Kickstarter backers and also fulfilling website pre-orders. So it's all done. Uh, It's all been in print and just yeah, thankful for uh, having that done. Uh, We debuted the manga at the Thought Bubble Comic Convention, which I was at November 13th and 14th. So I got to showcase that there. I did a whole workshop uh, around storytelling and manga as well, and generally just remembered how to do conventions uh, once again. So that was pretty cool. Um, We also got new manga. So I'm going to be working on The Eleventh Hour, which is our next long-term release. That will be a definitely 2022 thing, but we're going to be working on doing uh, shorter uh, manga stories along the way. We've got a bunch of Olympics and sports-themed manga that we did over the summer. We're going to put together in one release and make that freely available on our newsletter and uh, most likely Discord at some point. Also got some new stories to come, including a story with Tazzy's character. So I'm going to start plugging that now uh, as I put that together for uh, 2022 as well. Over in our video game uh, part of the brand, we have our indie interview with Italian game designer uh, Pietro Rivera, which is out already. So we've already done the interview and you can catch the VOD. Studio 77 members can also catch that interview as part of their membership. Um, We also have our Roblox Games Night, which is, again, we've already had it by the time you're listening, but you can catch the VOD uh, of that on the MyMatter Twitch. Uh, And also check out YouTube because we've been putting up highlights of our past games night, including our first time playing Roblox uh, and other games like Fortnite and Identity V and Rocket League as well. So we're going to be putting up the the best bits of our play games nights on YouTube. So you can check that out too. And we've got our New Year Gamepad Online happening in 2022, January the 15th, which is live on Twitch and hosted by Tazzy. Uh, we will be making announcements for the teams and the games 
uh, and interviews and all that uh, in the coming weeks. And yeah, the event is free as always, so you can get your tickets and also keep your eyes open for a special announcement we're going to be making at the end, probably at the end of that event. We've got some big plans for 2022. Uh, we're going to start uh, announcing them uh, at the end of that event. So make sure you are part of that one. Uh, that's all the things that are happening with Maya Mada so far. Uh, now let's go behind the story with today's guest. As I said, Manira is the executive editor currently based in Toronto, Canada, and has been storytelling for over a decade from spoken word to radio to work on post-colonialism, black identities, womanhood, intersectionality, love and mental wellness. She is the executive editor for VX Comics, which is a creative content and entertainment company from the heart of Africa, Nigeria, exporting African culture through visual artistry. So we're going to, like I mentioned, get into how everything has come about, the work Minira does, and hopefully uh, shine some light on comics from a different part of the world than we are used to here in the West. So Minira, let's start with where you are. You studied in Toronto. Were you, were you born in Toronto, raised there, moved there? How does that come about? Yeah, I was actually born in uh, the States, So, but I moved here at a very like young age. So I was raised here pretty much uh, most of my life. So I've been shaped by, you know, Toronto landscape and the culture and everything. So most of my life I've been here in Toronto, but I was born in the States. Which state out of interest? Uh, Detroit, Michigan. Oh, so cool. I have never been back and I have no, uh, it sounds bad, but I have no interest in being back. I don't think I have any family there. I think my <laughs> family's just passing through and I got born and they went back to, uh, came back to Canada. So that was pretty much my story. <laughs> nice. And then, so you studied in Toronto. So what was your uh, educational experience uh, like then? And yeah. how did it help you with the work you do now? So I got my bachelor's degree at University of Toronto. It was a very good experience because it was um, what they call an English specialist course, where we pretty much learned about everything in terms of, you know, that falls under the English department degree. Um, it went like from Shakespeare to, you know, children's fiction, science fiction. And so we kind of had that broad kind of perspective for the first three years. And then the last year, um, you basically focused on um, some a disciplinary and that you were very interested in. And so kind of throughout my my studies, because I took so many different broad courses, like I said, children's lit, science fiction, Shakespeare, I, I had a very broad sense of, you know, English and, you know, the American language and literature. And I was just so engulfed in it. Um, a lot of my passion came from those studies and just wanting to consume those stories and then also be interested in writing my own. There was a course that we had that they have at UFT called Caribbean Lit. And so one of the things that I had noticed as well there studying that course that a lot of the Caribbean literature writers, they were very prolific, but there was, wasn't a lot of, I'll say, publicity 
or they weren't considered uh, one of the prolific writers as like American writers would be considered prolific, like Shakespeare or something. So they had Caribbean lit and they had like, you know, African lit courses and stuff like that. But I didn't know, I did notice that there was a, uh, there was a very big like disparity in terms of who would take the cor- the class and how uh, important the classes were considered. So that really kind of pushed me in the direction where I want to focus more on Caribbean and African kind of literature and kind of having that as the forefront of my writing. So did you, you came in with a intent to like, I'm, I want to do something with writing? Because I know sometimes people go to university and then they discover something or they can go in beforehand and say like, mm-hmm. this is what I want to do. How do I get there? Yeah, that you know what? I was always... I was always reading like from a young age, I was always reading and I was, I had always read at like a higher grade level um, than the rest of my peers because I was just always consuming books. You know, that was one of the things that, especially in the Caribbean, my parents are from Jamaica and Barbados. So my dad, especially, he was somebody who just pushed education so much that um, at a very young age, it was just, that's that's all I knew is that, okay, I'm going to excel in education. And so because my thing was reading and writing, I went into, you know, university knowing that. But then also the other thing was kind of grappling with what kind of career can I have other than just being a writer? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, am I just going to write novels? You know, because I know the process of you have to be picked up by an agent and then they have to like your work and then all of that. Like, is that going to be a viable career choice? So although I knew that's what I wanted to do at the time, I didn't know of any um, other career choices other than, quote unquote, being a novelist or anything like that at the time, because it wasn't like anything else other than that wasn't really popularized for somebody who wanted to write. And so. I did. I wasn't quite sure as to how I was going to use my degree, other than just to, you know, let's write a novel or something. So it was a little more difficult once you kind of, once I kind of graduated, and then it was kind of like, okay, well, now that I'm done, what do I do with it? And so it wasn't always, it wasn't very easy for me to kind of navigate that landscape because, you know, there's the rejection that you have to deal with, and then also, like I said you know, if my focus was Caribbean lit or African lit, then where in Toronto am I going to be able to pursue that, that, that writing? And so what I ended up doing was I had actually, during my university time, I had, um, I had volunteered at a local radio station. And so during that time, we were writing scripts for radio, doing, uh, learned how to do interview guests and things of that nature. So it was more of a journalistic perspective. And so I thought, okay, maybe I would go in that route. It's still kind of in that department of writing, you know, the journalistic aspect. And so that is the route that I would have gone. Um, but fortunately, I didn't uh, necessarily have to pursue that outright. Fortunately, I've been able to kind of, you know, been to to have certain opportunities, writing opportunities come my way. And so I've been able to kind of push more towards my purpose and uh, focus on that, luckily. And like along that journey, was there a point where you decided you wanted to work in animation or comics even? Or was that something that came more organically? You know what? That was always something that was at the back of my head. You know, I grew up just loving animation, anime, manga, and things of that nature. But like I said, because there was no real there was no real tangible evidence that you could actually work in those fields for me 
it's like, okay, what do you do now with this? You know, how do I get into that? I, that, I, I really honestly just kind of put that out of the back, put that out of my mind after a while. I would say probably second year into US, uh, university, but it was always there, right? Uh, but because I had taken it out of my, my career prospect, and I pursued, you know, a journalism uh, field. Uh, it was, you know, kind of coming back to it, you know, now it's kind of full circle for me. And so I'm just grateful that I'm able to to do that. And I'm able to kind of, you know, push in that direction of animation and comics, because that is something that I've always wanted to do. You know, I grew up on comics and animation and just the idea of being able to create stories on a level where, you know, maybe uh, it's not as diverse in terms of the stories and the characters that are, that are you know, out there. And um, although we, you know, we have the novels, we have the, the literature, we have the all of that, it's not at a level where it's globalized and where other markets can see it as profitable as well. So that was something that was always at the back of my mind where it's like, you know, it'd be great to be able to put these stories forward and still and make money from it you know yeah, what i mean it's one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one thing to put stories forward and it's like oh yeah that was a great story but uh you're not making any money from it and so it's not seen as marketable or commercial or global or anything like that so that was also you know kind of something i think a lot of creative artists as well grapple with it's like okay you can do this you can tell these stories but then also you have to be able to make money from them mm. in order to survive parents as well yeah parents you know it's like having to tell them you know that was one thing i didn't do i didn't say hey i'm going to <laughs> i'm going to start doing this you know it was kind of like okay i was a sh i'm more of like a show and tell type person it's like okay i'm going to do this and then once stuff starts happening then i'll tell them because they're they're you know, like i said they're yeah. cribbing, you know they're very open and they're very you know they're very open to you know all their children trying to trying other aspects and careers and avenues but then there's always that fear which i understand from parents about like okay how are you going to take care of yourself you know what i mean and so just being able to to show that okay you can do this and you know be able to take care of yourself or even <clears throat> that it's going to go somewhere as opposed to just be on the shelf and that no one like cares about it you know especially having that conversation with parents is, is very very difficult you know i went to four years of university and it's like oh yeah i'm gonna do comics <laughs> you know <laughs> um, yeah that's that's not that's not a conversation that you want to have uh necessarily up front at least i didn't no i totally get that uh mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> i can yeah. imagine a lot of people can uh, appreciate that that difficult conversation yeah yeah at least at least for me it was like okay it's writing it's a writing aspect i can only imagine when people get went to school for like let's say something completely different you know, business, economics, or, you know, engineering. engineering which and then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then trying to have that conversation of also, hey, you know, I'm also interested in this as well. And I feel like a lot of people kind of just put themselves in a box as well. It's like, oh, okay, if I'm, if I'm into, you know, um, let's, like you said, engineering, I can't, I can't get into this other, I can't get into animation or anime and manga. Like I have to just stick with this, you know? So I think for me, it was as difficult as it was, it was easier because it's still under that umbrella of writing and art. But I can imagine it would be extremely difficult for somebody who was in a completely different area. And maybe they just, you know, took those courses or took that, you know, schooling because that's what was expected of them only to have that conversation and be like, actually, this is what I want to do with me. Yeah. 
So, yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. And then in terms of like comics and animation, uh, you said that like, you grew up with that. What is the culture like in Canada, in Toronto? Like, is it is it a big fandom there? Um, I would say it wasn't. Well, for me growing up, I was probably it wasn't as prominent in terms of like the presence of, you know, animation and anime, especially, you know, as a young girl, you know, talking about Dragon Ball Z and like all that stuff, like nobody wants, like my friends <laughs> didn't want to hear about that. <laughs> so I kind of, you know, Pokemon, I kind of just kept it to myself or like my family because we you know, have a big family um, and we all would just watch it. And so it was just, that was something that I kind of just grew up with in my household. And I, I realized like over the years, it's something that, especially with like animation is considered, it or at least it was considered, I don't think it is now, but it was considered very like childish kind of kid is for kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That still holds. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's acceptable when you're, you know, eight, 10 years old to talk about Pokemon, but it's like, okay, I'm not going <laughs> to, you have to be in a certain group of people <laughs> to be like, oh, you know what? You want to watch that latest Pokemon movie that came out on Netflix? <laughs> and it's like, oh, why would I want to do that? Um, and so you kind of just watch it to, <laughs> by yourself or with somebody else who might, you know, understand. It's not necessarily about like, oh, I'm going to watch this cartoon because, you know, that's kind of what is considered like a cartoon, but just the, just being a part and uh, recognizing the, the greatness of the animation, the fact that it's been around for so long. So for Toronto, I would say it's definitely building in terms of the appreciation for animation and anime and manga. But there is still that stigma where it's like, okay, uh, this is a cartoon and it's meant for children. You know what I mean? Yeah. And having to have that discussion and be like, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm watching Hunter Hunter on Netflix. It's like, oh, you're watching a cartoon. It's like, oh, well, you don't appreciate anime. So <laughs> I'm not going to talk to you about this. And so I think that's like not necessarily specific to, to Toronto. I, I feel like that's uh, the, that is just the stigma about animation and anime and everything, comics and stuff like that is that it's for kids. And I think slowly people are realizing that it's not, it's not necessary for just for children. And even so, I mean, it does bring out that kind of kid aspect within us, you know, to be able to just enjoy this animation without having to you know justify specific you know storylines or anything like that mm. you can just enjoy it and just let your imagination go as well yeah i think that's what i what's great about anime and animation in general is that it's not something that you have to take too seriously all the time but then it also still has very adult like elements depending on of course the anime that you watch and so it's it's very satisfying and kind of you know, there's no way you'd be able to explain it to somebody who doesn't watch it. You know, they would just have to be interested in watching it as opposed to, you know, having the mindset and going into it by thinking, OK, this is for kids. You know, there's no real discussion you can have and have with that. Yeah, some some you can with some some anime is like, no, you just, yeah, have, to, some, you just some, have to watch it because yeah. I'm not going to try and explain this to you. Yeah, some you can, you definitely, and, and, you know, that's fine if they're not interested. But I think it's it's more of stigma of, oh, this is for kids. Yes. I don't think any, I've never come across anybody who's been like, oh, I'm not interested because it's boring. You know, it's just, oh, okay, this is for kids. So there's no point. It, I, I shouldn't be watching this. And mm. I think that that's part of the problem for a lot of things, especially 
was for animation uh, kind of stuck in this box of, okay, this is not live action, so it must not be for me. You know, this I'm not the target audience where it's like you can enjoy things that are outside the box and outside the norm without having to explain yourself to people all the time. And you don't have to necessarily turn on, it doesn't have to be something overly dramatic where it's like, okay, I'm sociopolitical climate change and we got to talk about that. It's like, no, you can just turn on, you know, some animation, enjoy it and move on with life. So that's the way I see it. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, get out of the box. Um, yeah, so, yeah uh, definitely. <laughs> and then, so you then, you make your way to VX Comics. I'm interested to know how that came up. So I want to know how it came about and your your position mm-hmm. there. So let's start with how it came about, because like I said, you're in Toronto. It's uh, Nigerian-based because your founder is Nigerian. Yeah. How did that connection even get made and for you to, to be there? Well, what, it actually happened with pandemic. So in 2020, I released my first short animation, Afrofuturistic animation film. And it was luckily, it was, it was premiered at several Toronto film festivals and on uh, online art exhibitions throughout 2020, you know, because everything was shut down. There was no possibility of having it in the theater. So I was actually gearing up for that because I was, uh, you know, that was, my, you know, my first written, directed and produced Afro-futuristic animation. So I was excited. And then unfortunately, everything shut down. So I believe in the midst of, I, I didn't know what to do, like during the pandemic, like it still happened, you know, it still premiered virtually and everything like that. But I was just doing some random promotion of it on Instagram. And so I had sent the, like the details to a uh, Vortex Instagram account. And surprisingly, I was like, okay, somebody actually responded back. I was, had no expectation of that. So it was, I was just sending it to, you know, random account, not random accounts, but, you know, <laughs> animation. Anything, anything, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was spamming everybody. Um, <laughs> no, I was just sending it to, you know, those accounts that, you know, they promoted African and African diasporic works. I had seen that. So I was like, oh, okay, this would be perfect. You know, I'm, you know, everything's on lockdown, but I would still like to promote my film. And so I had sent, uh, they were one of the uh, accounts I had sent it to. And so um, they're happy to, you know, discuss it. And so after a little bit of, I guess, a couple of weeks after I had sent that out, I was contacted back to find out, you know, if I'd be interested in writing for one of their comic series. And that because they had checked out my, the work because I had sent it to them and everything. And so I had never written a comic. And I was a little, I was a little nervous and concerned about, you know, how am I going to do that? I write completely differently from what, you know, the comic kind of setup is for. But we had gone over, you know, what the series was about, you know, what the details and the characters and everything. It was such a lot, like a big project in terms of, you know, kind of getting it off the ground. Because I believe there was only, there was two issues that were written and they were looking for someone to continue on the series, but they couldn't find the right, the proper writer for it, depending, you know, on what they had. And so it turned out to be the Risha R uh, comic series for Vortex, which was a, a very science fiction based storyline with multiple stor- uh, characters, multiple storylines. And there was just a lot of details and a lot of things that were going on that had to be make sure that there was you know, everything kind of blended and seamlessly. So I had written, I guess, like a sample kind of, you know, sample comic to let them know kind of where I would take the series. 
and they loved it. And after, you know, uh, writing a couple of the issues, I was asked to be editor-in-chief because I had some, um, I had a lot of, I guess, experience kind of working with teams and, you know, overseeing other writing uh, projects such as that. And so as of, I believe it was March of this year, um, I kind of took over the role as editor-in-chief. So that was the journey to to kind of my role, my current role today. Oh, wow. So it's kind of like you having that past experience and then essentially putting it into practice. So there's something for yeah. them to, to see and say, okay, this is, this is someone see. who might want to work on what we've got. Yeah, because um, like I mentioned, like a lot of the courses that I had taken throughout, you know, U of T, uh, my university schooling, one of them was like technical writing and stuff like that. So although what I find, especially somebody who like edits other people's work, like a lot of creatives, they have the creative mindset, right? But then also, the, but then sometimes there's a technical aspect that's missing in terms of like grammar, spelling, uh, punctuation, and just making sure that the story flows well and, you know, it makes sense to somebody who doesn't understand what's going on. And mm. so there's that technical aspect. And I, I find that, you know, it's okay when somebody's a writer and they don't pay attention to all those things because that's what the editor is for. Um, and the editor kind of takes it to the next level. And so luckily I had experience learning that, but I had never needed to I had never needed to edit somebody else's work other than my own, but uh, luckily I had the, you know, I had the know-how, say, of how to do it. And so they had seen that because um, we had worked on a project and which I had to edit a script and they were satisfied and actually glad that, you know, I wasn't just able to write, but I could also be capable of editing because that's very two, it's completely two different things. You know, there's one where you can, you can write, and you can come up with a great story, you know, have creative ability, but then editing itself is a completely, you have to have a completely different, like switch from being creative to being like completely technical, you know, looking at the small little details of like, okay, what's going on here? And, you know, this is missing this, this is missing that. And that takes, that will take an average story to, you know, to being great, you know, all those little things can detract from a great story. And um, that's what sometimes happens is that, you know, a lot of creatives, they have great stories, but because of the technical things that are detracting from it, they might not be able to take their story to the next level. So I find that, you know, the editing process is very difficult for some people to even edit their own work because they're just not able to kind of make that switch over. And so sometimes having somebody else who is able to do that really takes their stories to like the next level yeah no i get that and because yeah. as a creator you like everything's in your head so when you're making a story yeah. like, everything makes yeah, sense and that's why, <laughs> and that's why I, I get it because as somebody who creates it's like okay i get that you're in your head and so it's kind of that is job to pull it out it's like okay what's going on here do you realize you didn't you, like this character is missing from this from this you know portion and they're like oh yeah you know i thought you know, because sometimes that even happens with me. It's like I'm writing and it's like everything's there. It's like, how is this not perfect? Yeah. And somebody else would be. <laughs> what do you mean you can't see it? It's there. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is perfect writing. And it's like, uh, actually, if you, you, you got to, you know, do this, you got to do that. And then it will take it to the next level. You're like, oh, OK, great. And so also, like, as somebody who is, you know, who writes as well, it's like you're very sensitive about certain things, especially like your work. Mm. And having that and some there is a there is a fear of having somebody 
criticize your work in a sense where it's like, okay, they're going to just trash it or they're going to just yeah. remove Yeah, exactly. And so I think creatives in general have to get over that fear and have be able to go to somebody who they trust and who they know that you know, well, is not going to just trash their work and criticize them just completely, but it's meant to, you know, elevate their work to the next level, like I mentioned. And that aspect of, is really hard for, for some people, just in general, to have someone criticize your work, you know, whether you write or it's artist or you're filmmaking or whatever, just have somebody say, go in and say, actually, get rid of this, move this here, you know, what's going on with this person, you know, it's a very, it's a very sensitive process. And so you have to be able to, to be okay with giving your work to somebody and expecting them to give you feedback. And I find that that's very difficult for just anybody in general, but especially if you're, if it's something that's very personal to you, which is your work, um, that is an something you will have to get over if you want to kind of take your writing to the next plateau yeah i've been yeah working uh, on that asking for feedback <laughs> and actually wanting to get <laughs> wanting to get feedback mm -hmm. but then as an editor you also have to know how to communicate that feedback in a way that like you say it's not you're not tearing someone down but like elevating uh the work so you just you make it about the work and how to make it better yeah and that's something that i'm learning as well as an editor um but everybody is very different and takes yeah. criticism yes, or feedback yeah. differently <laughs> yeah. so you also have to learn how that person takes feedback and sometimes it's not it's not um you know you you saying something to some, one person one way is not going to be okay saying it to another person that same way and so you kind of you know it's kind of a learning process on both ends by mm -hmm. the writer and the editor kind of just learning how what's the best type of language to use when we get together because it could be something that's very simple in my mind and the writer might take it very sensitively and it's not that they're wrong or they're right it's just that oh you forget like okay this is somebody's work and they're like whatever process they use to get this work out now they're you know they're they're allowing me the chance to read it and I might have said that a little too harshly so it's on both ends, it's kind of, you know, a learning experience of, okay, you know, who you're working with, you know, kind of got to figure out that, you know, dynamic. I get that. And yeah. in terms of like the dynamic of the role, but also as a, a team, because you are quite spread out, how do you, how do you make it work as a, as a team operating in different countries? Um, yeah, I can definitely speak uh, at least to like the writing, uh, the writing team, because I, I do have to communicate with pretty much all the writers and they're all over the place, to be honest. Um, you know, some in South Africa, Nigeria. I'm here in Toronto. And what's great about that is that, you know, we have writers that bring forth different cultural backgrounds and experiences. And so they bring that to their writing. And so it gives, um, it also gives us an opportunity to kind of explore different stories, storylines as well, you know. And so you just have to be very careful uh, of how you communicate and you have to make sure that you stay in communication. So I would say like we have a lot of like writing groups and like group chats and stuff of that nature. And so, uh, again, we're all on different. We might be in different timelines. And so one of us might have to make a sacrifice. And while, you know, for example, one of the group chats that we have for the t writing teams that we had, like everybody was in. I think it was in Nigeria and I was the only one that was in Canada. And so 
the 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 meeting might be at 10 a.m. their time and it's like 5 a.m. mine time and it's okay. like okay well I'll take I'll take the hit because <laughs> it's like <laughs> you know everybody else is on the same playing field and so you just have to you know really know why you know you're kind of doing this project and really kind of work with everybody and be patient as well because not everybody's going to be in the same situation. And so once you kind of know where everybody's working with, you're able to communicate better, able to communicate properly, as well as, you know, not everyone is going to be doing this as like a full time job. Right. And so you have to be considerate of people's time and when and what it is that you need from them and when you need it from them, because they have their own lives as well. You know what I mean? And so taking kind of all that into consideration you're definitely, I will say, I've never had an issue with working with any of the writers because we've been able to communicate and kind of keep on top of things, you know, follow-ups and here and there, and, but then also have to be considerate as well. And I think the consideration, considering that everybody is on their own timeline, their own schedule, some are in school because a lot of the writers, you know, are in school as well. And that's why they kind of want like this tangible experience. And so kind of making sure that you understand each and every writer and where they're at, you know, kind of having that conversation, one-on-one conversation, which is something that I do, you know, if I'm, let's say, starting a new project for them and I'm, I know I'm going to have to edit their work, I'll talk to them and just be like, okay, so what is going on with you? Like, how busy are you at school, you know, or, you know, are you busy with work? Just so I know that I can't be bugging them every day. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. um, we might do like once a week meeting and then the rest will just be follow-up texts as opposed to like, or voice notes, you know, it might be easier for some people to do voice notes or some people, you know, for texts or emails, you know, so just knowing who you're working with and kind of catering to what, you know, what their style of communication is, is extremely important because not everybody wants to receive text messages or, you know, emails constantly. They don't check emails, you know, it's just, just a matter of figuring out who you're working with and having that discussion before you kind of jump into things. Yeah, it sounds like as editor, you have to be, it's as much managing people as it is like analyzing the work. I would say most of it is, okay. is really <laughs> managing people. And uh, you have to be, there's an aspect of if you're, you know, managing, you know, editors who just you freelance editors that you can go to them and just, you know, here's my work and that's it. You're working with them one-on-one, but it's a, it's a different when you're managing a team. And so that's what I am doing more team-based in terms of like, okay, I have to make sure that I follow with, you know, these three people this week. And then next week I follow with this person because I know that, let's say I know their personality or I know that if I give this person this job to do or this to follow up on, I'm I'm for sure, I know for sure that they're going to get it done. Right. And I don't need to necessarily follow up with them constantly or just knowing kind of what their personality is like and what's going on with them. The actual editing portion of just like going through somebody's work, that's, I would say, 30% of the work. You know, okay. it's not something, it's not something that, you know, you kind of just get in there, do what you got to do. And it's all right, I'm going to send this back. Here's, here's the details. But then knowing that that person, let's say, prefers Word documents over PDF, you know what I mean? Uh, and yeah, so I got to... <laughs> Yeah, the formats and something like that usually would think that, okay, so what's the big deal? It's like, that's a big deal to some people. It's like, they'll come back and be like, oh, actually, can you resend this in this format? And it's like, 
okay, I can either, you know, you can either be like, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Or you can, (laughs) you know, you have to remember, oh yeah, this person doesn't have access to Adobe. So which is something that you might not consider. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so a lot of it's very, uh, you have to be kind of a people person to be able to be quote unquote, an editor or manage a team because most of the work is managing people and their personalities and kind of, you know, figuring out, okay, who is able to do what? And just remembering, okay, oh yeah, I know this person's great at this, or this person loves to do, you know, monologues. So we need somebody who needs, who can write a monologue for this script and I'll contact that person. You know, it's just random stuff that you just have to kind of know by interacting with people. And so a lot of it, a lot of it really is, you know, engaging with people and figuring out what their style of writing is, knowing what their style of writing is and not trying to change it as well. It's just enhancing it. So a lot of it's, it's very kind of like a fine line of, of keeping, retaining their, their, their authentic style of voice and without, you know, and of course that's again, something that's very sensitive to writers, uh, keeping it authentic to them, but then also maintaining it so that it's not you know, VX, VX's standards. So it's, it's really is about just figuring people out and, you know, kind of engaging with them on that level. Okay. Wow. And yeah. I mean, now you're, you're working on the editor side, you said you were, you know, your comics and having an interest uh, from the time you're growing up. Is there anything that you've learned about the comics industry since working at VX comics? Let's see what I, I did learn. Um, in just in terms of writing uh, as as well in general, like I said, I had never written uh, in a comic format, but that was not something that was necessarily like a big deal. You know, I, I learned it quickly and, you know, this is how it's done. And, and that's pretty much it. In terms of uh, the comic industry, I learned at how expensive it is to create a comic and then the expectation of the return investment you know what I mean? Mm. And kind of having that balance of, (laughs) yes. I don't know what I thought when I was younger, but I just assume like, oh, you just create and people read it. It's like, no, you, you really do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Much more recently though. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad I'm not alone. Like, I don't know why I, I thought that you had to have a fan base. I don't know why I didn't think that, but I just assume like once you create something great, as long as it's great, somebody will, you know, people will come and read it. And it's, it really is not the case. No, I mean, you've just described our business model when we started yeah. <laughs> the, the brand, basically. That was basically it. <laughs> we just made something that's really good and surely people will come. No, they won't. Or yeah, no, they actually, they, and, they'll, they'll come and they'll keep on walking because they don't know what on. this is. <laughs> so. And and that's the frustrating thing. It's like, can you not see how great this is? Yeah. <laughs> like, and I think I've, I, it's kind of just now settled in my mind where it's like, okay, not only do people, and I'm going to speak from a perspective, especially African comics, you know, and the African comic industry, it's not only do people, they want to see the representation and that's great. And, you know, you hear the words and, oh yeah, that's great. Let's do this. I want to see more representation, but I don't think they understand that they have to be, there's a consumer base like you have to consume physically pay and consume so that it can continue and i think that that's an issue especially with a lot of creative platforms 
And for some reason, the African industry, uh, the African comic industry, where it's just like, okay, you create something great, but there has to be the match where people are willing and capable and capable. Also, they have to be capable of purchasing this work, this content, so that one, you don't need to go abroad and, you know, you don't need to sell your, your work to, you know, another platform or consumer, uh, another, you know, conglomerate um, in order to just, you know, have money come in, but also because then it also boosts your, your creativity and your self-esteem as well, because, you know, I can, I've, I've been there, you know, you create something great and then you think that it's going to be this amazing thing and it doesn't, it doesn't hit, it doesn't connect, but it's, that is something that I've definitely learned. I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure what, why that happens. You know, we crave diversity, crave representation, and then get it in comics by independent comic makers. And then um, it's just like, Oh, okay, that's great. And move on to, you know, you know, something from another, you know, another region, you know, American based from a larger company. And it's like, let me, let me go purchase Marvel and go read about this, but then also complain about, you know, lack of representation and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, <laughs> it's a weird one. And I find myself in a way I'm, I'm also like part of the problem because, you know, we're here in London and Marvel, DC, Image Comics as well. You kind of like default to those and just, yeah. I was just saying before we were recorded, I uh, recently went to a, a first comic convention uh, since the pandemic. So it just reminded me of those, those, those. I don't even know what the, the word is, but those challenges uh, essentially. And and the idea of if it's an independent thing, even here in the West, if it's an in- independent thing, it's kind of seen differently than something like mm-hmm. a Marvel. So I can imagine even doubly so when it's like a different culture, uh, creators that look different then you then it's like oh oh, why would i why would i go over here it's safe over here i know what this is yeah and i feel like i feel like it's it's not necessarily all the i can't put all the blame on the consumer as well that's you know there's a fear for some reason you know there's a fear of you know investing in independent comics and because you don't know like the fear of no you don't know what's going to happen and it's like i'm going to invest in this even just in terms of okay purchasing a comic it's like you're kind of doing sometimes it's done out of you know just okay i'll give them you know my support and things of that nature but there's not really a a backing behind it i feel until until it's until you receive kind of like the uh, the stamp of authorization from you know a a bigger brand or a bigger um, company you know what i mean it's like let's say you were all, you were always there doing what you need to do. And then all of a sudden, you know, Netflix comes along and decides, you know, Hey, your work is actually amazing. Let's get behind it. It's like, and then you'll get that support. Mm. And the same people with you, the same work could be like, Oh, this is great. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, I've always been doing this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, you know, it, it's just kind of, you know, it's that consumer based mindset. So it's not even necessarily something that you can kind of just step away from and be like, oh, okay, I don't do that. It's like, I mean, actually, I, I think we all do it to a certain yeah, degree. Exactly. But from like, I, I don't I, like comics itself, I feel like it's such a niche area where it's like you have to have that fan base in order to get anywhere or even to continue the work that you're doing because otherwise it will be very distressing you know, kind of putting out the work and putting out this amazing work 
And, you know, you're not getting that, you know, it's not being reciprocated back in terms of, you know, even, you know, the feedback from customers, whether or not, you know, they're able to give it their from their pockets or just even, you know, a well-received thank, congrats, thanks for, you know, doing what you're doing. It gets distressing, you know, because you could be doing, you could be doing so many other things and excelling in other areas, you know, you kind of have those moments where you just start thinking like, is this worth it? You know what I mean? Like, I think because then you're just like you want to be able to push this forward you want to be able to to create these stories you want to be able to represent these communities that are underrepresented and you know you hear people always saying underrepresented and you're but then the expectation is somebody else will represent them and they'll do a better job and they'll get the funding they'll get the money you know if marvel decided to come out with you know another african based or centered superhero they'll get the funding or they'll get the support for it as opposed to all the amazing African comic <laughs> creators across the globe who have been been creating amazing superheroes or, you know, fictional characters because they have that authentic storytelling and the creative ability to do it. But just because of the name, they'll, auto, you know, Marvel will automatically get that support. And it's just kind of distressing, you know, it's, as in it would be in any industry. But there has to be a reason why you kind of continue doing it. And unfortunately, you know, some some people, they have to, you know, they bow out and they go in another direction, which is understandable. Um, and then there's others that, you know, stick to it because, you know, this is what their their purpose is, what they were designed to do. Yeah. And yeah, I guess you must see that like as you work with more creators and sort of see mm-hmm. more of the landscape. Yeah, as I kind of, you know, we kind of onboard other writers, you know, and especially kind of making sure that we connect with new artists, uh, new animators, new writers, you see the passion and the hunger that, that people have. And then sometimes it really is that they just don't have the experience and they don't know where to start, especially when it comes to writing. And it's unfortunate. And so a lot of artists, especially and, and writers, you know, I kind of put writers under the artist's category but also just say creatives a lot of creatives they don't have the like the they might not have the educational background which is actually great because then a lot of the work that they do is just authentic to to them and what they know and they kind of learn on their own and so you see that you know some of them might distress about oh i didn't go to school for this and it's it's like some of them are way better than people who've gone to school because (laughs) you can't teach creativity like it's just it's either just you just either have that or you're going to just copy you know, you're going to copy somebody else and look at somebody else's work and be like, oh, that's great. Let me copy. So they have a lot of them have that creative aspect, but they just don't know how to get into that writing kind of comic book aspect and that door. And so we see a lot of that. And so really kind of coming across so many creatives and just seeing their passion for it and just seeing that they want to, um, you know, put out their own work and make sure that, you know, that they're doing as their, their work is as authentic as it can possibly be, knowing that they want to be a part of that, you know, that they want to be a part of Vortex or they, they just, you know, they want experience so that they can go on to do something else, which is great. You know, it's great that that's possible because there are a lot of, you know, companies or, you know, other, you know, conglomerates that don't allow that. You know, it's kind of like a closed yeah. door situation. Unless you know somebody, then they can get you in or whatever. And so luckily, I, I, you know, social media is social media, you know, it is what it is. But one thing that I will give it credit for is that it has kind of, you know, broken down that middleman. You know, you don't have to, you know, necessarily 
be a part of these bigger corporations or in order to get seen, you can just put your work out there and, you know, somebody will see it. And so that's one of the great things about, you know, social media, I find, is that it kind of eliminates the need to to kind of go to these higher ups necessarily and beg them for attention. You know, you can put your work out there and if people notice it, people notice it and you can do it to uh, as authentic as you want it to be. And so that way you're not kind of catering to anybody if that's what you want to do. And so we've seen a lot of, you know, creatives and kind of just stick in their own lane, stay in their own lane and just keep putting the work out and they get contacted, you know, they end up getting contacted as opposed to having to, you know, constantly run after other, other groups to say, Hey, look how great my work is. It's no, they get contacted and, and the public determines whether or not their work is good. So that's one of the great things that, you know, kind of, I've, I've been seeing at least overall. I can imagine, yeah, and it changes the conversation if you're the one being contacted versus the other way around. Oh, that's perfect. And that's what I would recommend is that is, as opposed to just, con- you know, you have this idea as opposed to, and then you see that a lot, you know, kind of like with the music industry, especially, you know, as an artist, they no longer are taking deals and stuff like that. They don't have to go to get record deals and stuff like that. You know, there's the platforms, the SoundCloud, there's Instagram, there's these platforms where you put out your work these artists can put out their work and because they've built such a fan base, they've stayed in their lane in terms of, you know, staying creative to who they are and people have flocked to them. And because of that, now they, now others can realize that, okay, I don't have to run behind these, these other groups, these other companies, they can come to me. And then that's when you have the power, you know, you don't have to um, necessarily give up or relinquish your um, intellectual property and be like, okay, well, because that's what happens. Let's be honest. That's what happens sometimes. You might, you know, run to them and, oh, okay, this is great, but let's add a white character in here to add more, make it more commercial. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. we want to be diverse, but let's add another character so we can add this character in here so we can make sure that it's marketable. And and when you're in a position of power, you don't have to, you don't have to, you can say, no, we're not doing that because you're not, you're not chasing, you know, you're not chasing a bag. You're, you know exactly why you, you're doing what you're doing. And because they came to you, you have leverage. You know, they want your story. It's not the other way around. You're not begging for anything. But I think it's important if you stay, you know, stay true to the work that you're doing. And that's your purpose and your goal. And you, you remain confident in that. You know exactly why you're doing it. Some people are just doing it just so they can, you know, like I said, get some money. And it's fine. But when it's presented to you, you can't really complain about when, you know, they decide to let's lighten up this character. Let's do this. <laughs> you know, you can't really complain. But when it's like, no, I want this character. This is what this person's going to look like. And this is exactly how because they're going to represent this group of people or this community or whatever. And that's how it's going to stay. You have leverage. And as long as you remain true to that purpose, then, you know, I, honestly, you're fine. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, good advice. I don't want to touch on some of the like representation considerations, but just looking at the the work itself, I imagine that as an editor, you you see a lot of uh, submissions, a lot of different uh, scripts and concepts, and I guess a lot of the same kind of stories. Maybe uh, is there? Do you get to see things that like genuinely surprise you, like in terms of like the work or the concept of the comic? Not necessarily surprising in terms of the work or the submissions, because most of the submissions would be from the African continent because, you know, Vortex is a Nigerian company. And so that's where most of the submissions would come from. So 
what I would say is that the only the surprise, the only surprise I would necessarily have is that some of the the writers, some of the creatives, they would incorporate because as well, even though, you know, wherever they're located, you know, in Africa, there's still the influence of Western or American comics or animation, right? And so for me, somebody who's, you know, in Toronto and reading, a, you know, some work by, you know, an African writer or somebody who wants to be a writer and seeing that it's a little not distressing, but it's a little, it's a little odd for me, you know, because for myself, I would, I would, I would think that, you know, your, the interest would focus on, you know, telling authentic or specific African stories based off of your culture, tribe, or what have you. But then at the same time, I recognize that a lot of our upbringing and their upbringing would be they're seeing these, you know, American based superheroes. So let's say instead of necessarily having a specific uh, and this is not all of them, but just a few of the ones that I have seen is that it's not necessarily that it would focus on, you know, a creation of a brand new, you know, African superhero, but a kind of a deviation of, let's say, of Superman. And so just kind of having, you know, just make him less traffic in Superman. It's kind of like, um, and, yeah, and it's that box so, again. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the box. And it's like, you can step out of that. And, you, they, you know, and unfortunately, American comics and just, you know, the U.S. in general is kind of set as a standard. It's like, OK, this is a standard. And then let me go off from that. It's like we have to get away from the default that, you know, American anything is the default. And so that's what I would encourage, especially, you know, you know, creators on any level. You know, I see that from like artists as well. They'll just, okay, this is, you know, Wonder Woman, but let's just make her black. And then that's a new concept, even though, you know, there is the Nubia, you know, um, in the comics. But it's like you can do like you can literally create anything you want. Mm, And I don't and I and I I, I need creatives to understand you can literally create anything you want. Nobody is telling you, you can't do this. You can't do that. And I think it's the fear of, I don't know how well this is going to be portrayed, or I don't know if anyone's going to care. I don't know if anyone's going to like it, but let me just stick to what I know. You know what I mean? And so there, there does have to be understanding where if you do want to create something, it has to be, well, it should be authentic to you and what it is that you want to do. And, you know, telling a story from your region or your community about your people, it will be more authentic than than anything else that you can possibly do because only you can create that. You know what I mean? Only you're going to be able to tell that story. And it might be something that connects with other people anywhere else in the world because of how well it's told. And I think there's a there's a lack of understanding where it's like, okay, well, if I talk about, you know, if I make a, a character that's from Jamaica and they speak Patois, it's not going to connect with people outside of the outside of Jamaica who speak Patois. And it's like, no, you can. I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm not. I'm not. I, I'll watch movies and stuff like that from other countries and other regions and things of that nature. And I'm not. I'm. I have to submit to their work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. there's a fear that creatives think that that they don't hold the power. It's like, no. If I really want to know about your work and your work is that great i will submit to your work and learn about these characters because either they connect on a universal level or it's just so interesting enough that i'm willing to you know i'm willing to read this 
And I think they have to have more self-confidence in their writing and in their work. And by doing that, they have to be able to be free when they're writing and also look at what it is that they're writing about and make sure that it's important to them and it, ha- it holds a purpose so that when it, whether or not it does or does not get the reception that they want, they know why they wrote it or they know why they, they did what they did. And, and that will be enough, you know, because we see so many times that somebody, you know, something's written, it doesn't go, it doesn't get the reception, uh, you know, right away. But then let's say five, 10 years later, if it goes to the right person, it blows up. You know what I mean? So it's like, it depends on what it is you're doing it for. Are you doing it just to get the, a certain reaction? Are you doing it because you want to write this? Because either way, as long as it's, it's, it's what you want to do and it's your purpose, if it's going to get to, you know, a Netflix executive, it will get there if that's what your purpose is. It's just a matter of whether or not you are going to be happy with what you wrote and you can stand by it. And if not, then you have to go back and make sure you create something that you can be proud of, to be honest. And I mean, in terms of like the the idea of a standard, because uh, you mentioned like that mm-hmm. idea of like standard and sort of the Western standard we have here. But we're seeing, I, I don't know how, what the percentage is, but it's <laughs> it's more than zero. Uh, and it's been quite low in terms of like African perspectives uh, and characters in the media here in the West. Like, mm-hmm. what do you think are some of the challenges of diversifying uh, some of the media that we're seeing? Uh, and maybe in turn, that can help creators outside of this western bubble to be like oh i can make other stories and and it can be a success yeah i think that what happens is a lot of the times is that because we don't see you know representation we assume that it's not possible and unfortunately i mean that is that's not something that you know anyone needs to be uh, down on it's like okay if i don't see it i mean there's no way i i can really see myself as that you know, it's important to see representation, but then it's also important to to know that what you're doing is bigger than, you know, just writing a comic or just writing a script. You know, it's bigger than that. And I think creators have to think long term as opposed to short term. And I think that's one of the issues as well, is that because something is not working in this time frame or this time period, it's not it doesn't mean that, you know, in the future that exact same idea is not going to be coveted. You know what I mean? What happens is I believe that the standard that I mentioned, you know, the Western standard, there is a way in which you can use that and then kind of piggyback off of it. Meaning that, you know, these comics are great. The storylines are great. Let's take, you know, Batman, for example, such a, a on the surface level is a very you know, basic character in terms of, you know, what he does, who he is, you know, and very well known. But because of how it's told and how universal that storyline is, it can reach other, other, it can reach across the globe. You know what I mean? And so because also they, there's backstory, there's other characters that are just as interesting as Batman. You know, and so taking that template of, okay, I can have other characters, you know, and they can also have their own story. They can also be an offshoot. They can also do this. They can, you know, it's not just about this one character and this one storyline. So things like that in terms of taking templates from the West 
is perfectly fine. I think that's great because there are some amazing, you know, writers that have set the standard for for how to write in the West and continue to do that. Um, and I think that's viable to say that I want to take this template on, you know, storytelling and narrative. But in terms of what it is you're going to write about and the characters, that itself has to be authentic to to you and to what it is that you want to talk about. You know, if it is that you want to talk about and have your main character is going to be, I don't know, a tiger, a talking tiger. And that's authentic to you because you're going to make sure that it's it's the best possible character. And this is, you know, you have a great backstory and all of that. That's great. But it, you have to make sure you're not, you know, it's not simply great because you're going off of some other, you know, Western character that you saw because it, it wouldn't make any sense. There is no purpose to that. In terms of making sure that representation is there, I think also we have to be careful as well not to also, after all of that, not to also box ourselves in by saying, now I have to talk about African culture in my, uh, in my comics. I have to make yeah. sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or make a story so about the, a, the struggle or the uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I gotta make a story about the struggle because, first of all, I'm from the West and I'm so sick and tired of seeing slave movies and I don't, I don't want, I don't need to hear about it. I don't need to see it. But that's a, a that's a, a portion of art that some people are interested in. Yeah, I don't. You don't need to tell the struggle of you know, you know the, of of living in Nigeria in order to be authentic. You don't need to do all that. It's what you choose to do in terms of what your purpose will be and the story that you want to tell, the narrative. So really, is about you know, yes, being authentic, but at the same time, you don't have to box yourself in and say. Okay, well, since I am from this place, I have to talk. It's like, no, don't. But then you also have to understand that the connection, um, who you are and what it is that you want to tell, there has to be, it, 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 there has to be a blend. Definitely a lot of good advice in terms of like being authentic and what to take from, say, like Western references and what to use as a template. And I know. For myself, as you're talking, I'm thinking about my own stories and how I feel for myself. The because at the moment where we are in terms of like the Maya matter stories, it's it's very much the volume ones, uh, and I feel looking okay. at the volume twos, they will have a different same like obviously same characters and same uh, style, but a different underlying kind of purpose. Uh, I feel just as I get better as as a storyteller and learn how to like you say take the template but not necessarily the or take the how and not necessarily the what into a into a story and tell your own story through that so yeah yeah because there are these amazing you know western comics i wouldn't even lie you know i read batman and i read marvel comics and it's great in terms of template and they have their own way of telling stories and you know their own characters and whatnot and um, that template is great, you know, of how they do it and the backstories and the type of characters they come up with and how they come up with characters. That is perfectly great. But I find like, you know, that's kind of once you kind of get caught in that, in that web of, okay, let me do it like them. And it's like, you don't have to, it's, you know, you can take that template and, and create your own, your own stuff that's authentic um, and purposeful. So that's what I would say.
in each interview, we ask our guests to give advice for aspiring creative professionals. So today we've been talking uh, comics. Um, so Manira, what advice would you have uh, in addition to everything, uh, all the great things that you said so far, but what advice would you have for others listening who may want to get started with creating their own comic story, whether in the West or in a uh, completely different continent? Ooh, uh, creating your own comics. Excuse me. So what I would suggest is to make sure that you definitely have, you know, the foundation, the story of the foundation, you know, set, whether it's the characters, the backstories, the world building. That's one of the things that a lot of people forget is that the world building. And what that means is, you know, what's going on in this world? Is it science fiction? Is there a different language that they speak? What does the world look like? the landscape, all of those like kind of little details. And that's why I'll just kind of throw in there. That's why, you know, Star Wars is so great in, in that aspect is that it has different worlds that you can explore and they, they have a they have their own language. They have their own thing that's going on. And so when you have kind of all of that set up, you know, kind of creating your own comic, you you don't necessarily need anybody telling you what is and what isn't because you've already set that foundation. And also it helps because having those great ideas, it's perfect, but then also seeing it on paper and kind of fleshing it out and realizing that, okay, I don't know what's going on in this world. I don't know what type of stuff is happening. What are the politics that are going on? Is is that important to you? You know, these are the things that you kind of have to look at before you kind of just decide to write. Because as you write, you will, you know, there might be holes and there might be moments where you realize, okay, this doesn't make sense. Um, and most likely it's because those things haven't been taken into consideration. So I would suggest, you know, at least having that skeleton down, that outline of, you know, what is this story going to be about, the characters, the backstory, and kind of how they connect to everything and what your expectation of the this story is going to be. The writing aspect, depending on who it is that's presenting it, because I had people, you know, come to me and just be like, hey, I got an idea for a comic book. It's just like, OK, that's great. But, um, <laughs> that's, you know, that's not my job to kind of put comics <laughs> yeah, together. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, that's great. Go ahead and, you know, go ahead and do it. They have to, you know, if, if it's from a writing perspective, you have let's say you have a script, you then have to find somebody who's an illustrator. And somebody who is able to kind of depict that world for you visually. And you have to be prepared to to do that. Otherwise, you're selling your idea. You know, if it's great enough, hey, yeah, you can sell that idea. Otherwise, if it's something that you want, you have to kind of build your team and say that, okay, this is, you know, this is who I want to get to, you know, kind of uh, ink the paper, color it, all of this. These are the people that I want to put together to make this happen. And the only thing that I will def I can say that will hinder that is money, um, because nobody, oh, yeah. unless you have a team, <laughs> um, unless you have a team of people who are just willing to do things for you for free, you know, or maybe you have family members that you know are willing to you know step out and ha help you or friends or anything like that. You have to pay people for their work, you know, or they're just going to you know you can take you on your word for whatever reason. You have to have these people be able to do these things for you if you want it done. And so it's not necessarily difficult. I'll say it's not difficult to do anything. It's the fact whether or not you have the funding or you have the money, the resources to get it done. Right. And so having a great script is a great way to start or even just an outline. 
Um, and then there's some people who just have an idea and it's just like, oh, I want this done. I'm not a writer. I'm not an artist, but I just want this done. And it's like, okay, that's great. Then you need to hire a writer to write this out for you. So again, it's, it's, it depends. Like there's some people that just have great ideas, but they're not executors. And so you would have to get the writer and have to hire a writer to get it done so that they can write this script for you. And then you would have to look into getting those people, the artists that can visualize it for you as well. And so for those people, again, you have to have the resources for that to happen because, you know, that's the only way these things are going to come about unless you have a team of people that are willing to just come together on a project. They have these skills and experiences and they're willing to just come together and do it, you know, together. Um, otherwise, you do have to hire. Um, there are certain, you know, comic companies companies that will that will solicit ideas and solicit writing and you know say hey we're going to you know we're looking for writers to to start a, a new story or a new series and things like that you can definitely go that route as well it's very it's very rare uh, it's not impossible but it's very rare just because most companies they have their own ideas of what they want to put forward and so they'll just have their writer you yeah. know hire a writer to put those ideas forward yeah, but if you have your own independent ideas, that's great. But you, if you you don't write, you have to hire somebody. And if you are a writer, then you want that project out there. Then you either have to collaborate with an artist, pay an artist, but you will have to, you know, in some way form some type of partnership to kind of get it out there. I definitely know that process uh, as well. So yeah. <laughs> good, good advice for that. So yeah. people listening, if you're interested in making your own comic, take that on board. Uh, let us know what you think of the uh, interview as well. You can send us your thoughts at feedback at mymatter.com. So I just have a couple of questions that sort of popped up as you two were talking. Uh-huh. Obviously, you said about, you know, the conversation that comes up all the time about like animation being a children's thing, which is, it's not. <laughs> it's not just a children's thing. With... Uh, Netflix having their live action TV series rather than films. Hey, are you going to watch Cowboy Bebop or One Piece live oh. actions? <laughs> I'm terrified. I'm not going to lie. I'm terrified of Netflix live action films um, because they're usually a, they're hit and miss. Um, I will tune into Cowboy Bebop because I've, I've watched it. And so I just want to see. I just want to see what they do with it. One Piece, I've never... I've never watched the anime because it's just so long. I don't want to get into something that's just never ending, but I think I'll just check it out. But I'm not, I'm not going to have no expectations. Do you think it will make a difference that it's best both series and not films? Um, (laughs) I'm afraid there's so much stuff that doesn't get translated well when it's adapted from anime to live action. So I don't have the highest expectations, but I feel like if it was a live action, action film they could just focus on they could you know focus narrowly on you know a specific event or something and then maybe that would be more concise storytelling the series i'm a little afraid because then they might they might do stuff that they think can prolong the story and then just have it look a lot it just look a lot scarier and sound a lot scarier than it needs to be in terms of the storyline or the narrative but I would have preferred, you know, a film because then maybe they can just focus on that as opposed to like looking towards the future and, and being like, oh, OK, well, in the season two, we can do this as opposed to just focusing on the now because um, the series aspect, I feel like Netflix is kind of a hit and miss, especially with 
when it comes to adaptations. Interesting. Interesting. Because I don't, I feel like there's not been any really live action series adaptations from anime. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I would like to stick to the, I like to stick to the film aspect. Uh, I think the series, Netflix, I have a hate and love uh, relationship with Netflix because they're, they're the live action series is, especially if it's original, it's usually, you know, kind of weird. And because it's the adaptation, I would have preferred like, okay, let's just stick to the film. Um, but maybe this is them going outside the box. But um, <laughs> I'm just not. I just, I really, I really do hope that they they do kind of, you know, stick to the story. Not necessarily stick to the story, but they remain true to the story and the characters and really kind of make sure that things make sense and they're not just interested in the production of it, you know, and the storyline gets, you know, it's not, the, the script is not up to par because sometimes, you know, what happens is, you know, the production budget is there, but then the story is just like, it just ruins everything. So that's why I'm just like, I'd rather just have be hit all at once by a disappointment with a film as opposed to constantly every episode is going to be a disappointment. Um, so that's just my way of thinking. But I'm going to tune in to at least see what it looks like. And, and, but I don't have the highest expectations for them. So I'm hoping to be that that's going to change. We'll see. Um, and then a follow up question to that. If by some miracle they turn out great, do you think it will help to change the narrative that the animations are just for children? I don't think so because the only people that will know about One Piece really or even talk about it and just are anticipating it, I feel like are people that are already into the anime or are already into anime. Unless it's going to be like marketed as like an interesting story on its own. And so hopefully that hopefully it gets marketed in that in that sense where you know it's just an interesting story on its own it has nothing to do with the fact that the anime turned live action with cowboy bebop i feel like it's such an iconic anime that it's kind of difficult to even separate it from its anime i think that i feel like the only way anime or animation in general as well is going to kind of shake off that stigma of being for kids is that if there's like an animation that's targeted towards adults where it's like okay um this is going to this is you know it is an animation format but you know the themes the overall everything is 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 for adults and it and it's globally recognized as an amazing film or series or anything like that but I feel like because those two stories are so specific to fans and their fan base, I don't, I don't know of anyone that's going to be like, oh, I've never heard of One Piece, the anime, but I'm going to tune into the live action. So that might be a little, um, that might be a little different if somebody's able, if someone's going to do that, I'd be surprised. But I think it's, it's really focused on people who are already aware of it. But hopefully, you know, it kind of, is able to reach out to people who've never heard of Cowboy Bebop or, or One Piece. Cool. And then on sort of like more superhero stuff, um, is there any like standout superpowers or superpower origin stories that have worked really well with African heritage or culture that you've come across? Um, I would say in terms of like superpower, I would say the probably the most common one i would i would i would have come across would be like you know flying a super strength 
just in the context of what the story is usually about. You know, it's usually about like corruption and, you know, fighting against criminals and stuff like that. So it's more and and because I think that is more is something that is more relatable in terms of, you know, having somebody who's super strong and who can fly. And that's that's a sense of like freedom as well, especially based on the context of what the storyline could be about. That's what I've seen that is most common, you know, kind of thinking outside of that, you know, that I haven't necessarily come across too many that have been like, you know, telekinesis or, you know, anything like too broad or too, too, too out there. And I think that really speaks to what, what the characters are needed for. And like I said, most of the, the, the times that in terms of what I've read is it's focused on, you know, corruption and kind of, you know, helping out the community and, you know, their people and stuff of that nature. And so most of the, the characters kind of are grounded in that aspect of, you know, having super strength because that's what would be needed in order to help out or be able to kind of um, to help in their situation. And so that's another thing I would say, you know, kind of open up kind of what, you know, your superheroes are, are capable of doing. That would be another aspect of creative kind of control and kind of thinking outside the box as well. Awesome. Well, that's it from me. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good to uh, good to hear. But thank you, Manira, for joining us, giving us like all that advice and just like your background and how you got to where you are. Thank you so much for having me again. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this episode of Story X Story, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss a future episode. And you can also go back and listen to all our past uh, episodes. You can also give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever they let you review your podcast, which helps us uh, reach new listeners and fans of story discussions. Uh, our latest manga, speaking of comic stories, is out. It's done. It's in print. And it is available along with all the other stories from the Maya Matter universe on our website, mayamatter.com forward slash manga. Don't forget to join our Discord where we talk about our gaming events and also building our community. So our next Gamepad event is happening next year, January 2022 on the 15th. You can get your tickets there at gamepad.com events and you can stay tuned for more podcast episodes including creator interviews like these video game discussions and general deep dives into stories across pop culture uh, as always give us a shout directly our email address is feedback at mymatter.com and our website with links to subscribe is mymatter.com forward slash story x story so until next time stay safe stay safe everyone uh, and uh, we'll see you ne next time <music>